Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, this is Daniel Markin, and on this week of In Doubt, uh, I have a conversation with Daryl Dash. He's a church planner, pastor in the Toronto area in Liberty Village. And we're talking about the church and how it engages with culture, this idea of relevance, and how do you be relevant to a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christians. So I hope you find this episode helpful. It's filled with lots of different practical nuggets, as well as an encouraging message. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin. I'm joined today by Daryl Dash. Daryl, how are you doing today? Good. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's good to be with you too. Uh, you are in Toronto area. Is that correct? I am in Liberty Village, which is downtown Toronto. Technically, it's not downtown Toronto, but it's downtown Toronto. So we are uh, like maybe a 20-minute walk to the CN Tower. Um, just Yeah, it's a great community here. That's awesome. And uh, is that where you live or is that where you're um, working with your church? It is both. So we okay. we planted a church here. Uh, we just had our eighth anniversary. And part of planting the church is we moved into the community. It's kind of a weird community. It's it's Even though it's downtown Toronto, it really is aptly named. It is a little village within Toronto. So uh, we, we learned when we were planting the church, the first year we were still outside of the community. And the minute people found that out, you could see their eyes glaze over, right? The conversation was over. And so we quickly realized we had to move in to be part of the community here. Well, thank you for being on the program and thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking uh, about relevance and, and how the church is to be relevant uh, and the relationship with church and culture. Uh, you recently wrote an article on Gospel Coalition Canada called The Relevance Trap. And I kind of just want to follow sort of that, uh, you know, that sort of theme because the way Christians orient themselves to culture is something that we've been trying to figure out for a long time. And some, you know, you go backwards and forwards between knowing that as Christians we're to be different from our culture. At the same time, there's a sense of like assimilating, being a part of cultivating in the city to which the Lord brought you into exile, right? And just to use the language from Jeremiah, you want to interact with culture, be part of the culture. So as you interact and be part of the culture, I mean, for example, down in Toronto where you are and some of the, the work that I do here in Vancouver, we'll use the language of relevance. How do you stay relevant? And so I just love to hear, you know, briefly when you wrote that article and you understand the idea of relevance, how did you come to the conclusions and, and how do you continue to come to the conclusions that you come to about being in the church being relevant, but then also, as you say, being strange. There was a time when you could you could really assume that, you know, if we just, if we kind of speak the language of culture and make things appealing so that when people come in, they really appreciate the music, they appreciate the coffee, they appreciate the quality of speaking. Uh, I think there was the assumption that, and then we can just help them understand the Christian worldview and there'll be enough overlap that people can say, I kind of get this. Uh, it, it makes sense, and maybe they won't believe, but at least they'll feel like it was relevant to them. What I'm discovering is, and maybe it's being in a very post-Christian area like I am, 
what we believe is very, very strange. And there's really no way to make it, you can make it comprehensible, but there's no way to make it make sense to people. So when you talk about the fact that some of the stuff we believe that, you know, there was a, there is a God. Okay. People, I think people generally are okay believing that. But then you go on and say, by the way, I've been surprised by that. I've been surprised by how few atheists I meet in a very post-Christian area, uh, which is kind of interesting, right? There's still this belief that there is a God or the supernatural. But then when you get down to the details of, and he became a man, you know, God the Son became a man, and he died and rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, and, you know, he reigns over everything. People just look at you like, what are you talking about? They kind of accept it because... I think on one hand, there's this idea that you can believe whatever works for you, but it's strange. And then all the other things we do are really strange, right? Like I'm Baptist, so we, uh, I, like a lot of people, like a lot of denominations, we baptize people by immersion. There's no way to not make that strange. Yeah. And just really everything that we do, you know, we get together and sing. If you're at a soccer game, it's kind of normal that you sing. But if you get a bunch of people together who hardly know each other and say, okay, let's sing together. That's kind of weird, especially if you're sober. That's kind of weird, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's so much of what we do that that's weird, and I think we need to own that weirdness and say, like, yeah, it's just going to be weird. The more secular our society gets in post-Christian, the more we just have to accept that all that stuff's going to be really weird. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because it kind of speaks to something that I think about, which is in the end, everybody wants to be cool. Like I had, I had a professor who was hilarious in college. He was a education professor. So I was at one point studying to become a teacher. And he totally dressed like a teacher, you know, khakis, dress shirt tucked in, he had this big, long mustache. And, and he was very aware of the fact that like he was very uncool and that every student in that class wanted to be cool and, and then ultimately be relevant to their students. And, and I just remember offhandedly one day, he like... He said, uh, you know, the goal in life is to be cool, for we are nothing if not cool. And just as he said it, he kind of like locked eyes with me. I don't know if he was like trying to make like a, <laughs> you know, like, like aiming the comment at me, but I, th I thought it was one of the <laughs> most hilarious things. But it, part of me also like deep down, everyone wants to be cool, but each one of us really isn't that cool. I mean, like every one of us is weird. Every one of us has different quirks and, and different things that, make people feel uncomfortable or things that are strange, whether it be like things like types of food you like, types of media that you enjoy watching, you know, just completely different. And it is funny, though, how it, it, everyone wants to be cool, wants to be relevant. Why do you think that is? Is it just out of a place of wanting to be accepted by others? Because then how do you reconcile that with another half of the culture who thinks it's not cool to be religious, right? Because right now, you know, oh, it's kind of popular to be spiritual then there's, you might be cool with that crowd, but then you're not relevant with the other crowd. So then where do you define relevance? So Daniel, it's interesting what you say about coolness. Like there's nothing more pathetic than somebody who's not cool, who's trying to be cool. And we know those people, like if, if that high school teacher you had was trying to be really cool, that would have been really sad. In a way, what made him cool is that he stopped playing that game. And he was just like, man, I don't even care anymore. This is who I am. And I'm just going to be myself. So I think that's where we have to land as Christians. So I was reading a book called Analog Church. And the book begins with a guy who was a seeker who was checking out churches. And he went to a couple churches and they had the whole like the show going on, right? They had the 
very cool music. They had the light show. They had the amazing speaker. And this this guy who produced professional events said, I don't need more of that. I'm actually looking for something different. I'm looking for something I can't get on a Saturday night that I produce. I'm looking for something completely other than that. And it was really interesting because we think the world is looking for more cool. And I think what they're looking for, like, there's so much cool available in this world. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm in Toronto, and I'm often hit, same with probably most of wherever you're listening to this, right? All of our cities, Vancouver, it doesn't matter where you live, there's so much stuff that you can do. And we don't need more entertainment. We don't need more slickly produced stuff. I think we're looking for something transcendent, and that's what you can't find anywhere else. And by the way, I, I just have to go back. I was on the cool train for a while, trying to be cool, trying to, my whole model of ministry was, how can we make this attractive to unbelievers? And I've switched that. I think now it's like, how can we make this inviting and comprehensible, but own the strangeness of that? And just realizing like what people need is they need genuine relationships. They need to be welcomed. They need to be treated with respect. What they don't need, though, is our desperate efforts to, you know, outcompete with what the world is doing and providing an entertaining experience. And, and a few years ago, somebody told me, you can't make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. Like, the, by very definition, the Bible is more relevant than anything we could ever make up. Like, <laughs> we never have to make the Bible relevant. It is relevant. We just have to show its relevance. We have to show how it applies to every part of life. And the cool thing about Scripture is, you get into it and you you say, this is there's no way. Like, how could you make anything more relevant than this? It speaks to life more profoundly than anything else the world could offer. So we don't have to make it relevant. We just have to actually show how relevant it is. So yeah, I've I've switched my goal from trying to be relevant to like let's just be inviting and welcoming and show how scripture is relevant. You know, it sounds like what you're suggesting is let's make the message the most important thing. Let's make people the most important thing. And if cool people show up, great. If uncool people show up, great. That's not what we're doing. And in many ways, I think when we try and do that, we're trying to play by the the culture's rules, which are always changing. And it's impossible to keep up. So Paul, I, we're setting First Corinthians right now. And chapter two has always puzzled me because Paul says, I didn't come to you with lofty words of wisdom. I came to you with fear and trembling, basically. And it's always bugging me because it's like, man, if anybody could show up and give a compelling talk, it probably was Paul. He had been trained. He knew rhetoric. He knew all that stuff, right? And it always bugged me because I used to teach preaching. And it would always be like, are we supposed to not care about how we present ourselves? Well, I finally figured out, I think, what Paul was talking about in Corinth. The cool people were the people who were trained in rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. In that culture, that was the celebrity of the day. And so Paul was saying, look, you guys have a culture that's built around cool celebrities. I can play that game, but I'm choosing not to. Because what you win them by is what you win them to. Like if you win people by being cool, you're you're winning them not to Christ, but to your coolness. Paul, Paul showed up there and says, look, guys, I'm not even going to play that game of trying to be cool and to measure up to what your standards of celebrity are. I'm going to show up with the foolish message of the gospel, which makes no sense to anybody. And I'm going to own that because that's going to change the world. So, yeah, I was really struck by that. I had never been able to put that together. I think what Paul was saying there is there's something much better than being cool or relevant. And that's the foolish message of the cross that nobody thinks is cool, but it really is the hope of the world. 
I, I totally see where Paul's coming from because that culture was a culture of like sophists, right? You would, and they were like, like what you mentioned, the ancient rock stars. You would go from town to town, almost like TED Talks, right? And you'd give a TED Talk and that was what people did instead of going to the movie theater. They'd go see the newest person giving a TED Talk. And uh, how do you balance doing things really well and also doing things really honestly? Because you want to prepare for things, but you don't want to be so polished that it's now inauthentic, but you don't want to be so underprepared that it's awful. How do you balance that? It's a tough balance. It, to be honest, we err on the side. We, we try to do things well, but whenever we have a conflict between what would be real and what would be slick, we always go the real route. And we tell our people it's actually not, uh, it's, it's not because we're sloppy. It's because, I'll give you an example. We have a guy who reads scripture and he's just somebody that is so important to our church, but he is really not a marketable presence. Like he's not somebody that people would be drawn to. He's not like, he's, he's uncool. To, to be frank, and we purposely put him up there to read scripture fairly regularly because we want to make the statement that you are welcome here. You don't have to be cool to be part of our church. Uh, our community is so brutal. Uh, one time there was somebody who committed a crime and he was caught on camera and he really didn't look that cool. And, and it was posted on our community Facebook group. And somebody said, how did that guy even get in Liberty Village? Like, <laughs> we don't like those people into Liberty Village. And as a church, we want to say, we again, 1 Corinthians, right? The end of uh, chapter one, not many of you were the like A-list people of society. And, and God chooses the nobodies to confound the wise. And so we want to be a church that like, if we have to choose between being slick and being real, we go real every time. And not that we're sloppy, we try to do things well, but if you want to play relevant, I think actually what the world needs that's actually more relevant than coolness is just people being real. So exactly what we were talking about earlier, just like, this is me, this is you, let's drop the mask. Let's create an environment of safety where you can admit that you're not perfect, where you don't have to be Instagrammable and you'll be welcome here. I think that has a lot of power to it. It does. It reminds me of in First John, where John talks about walking in the light and uh, this idea that walking in the light isn't sinlessness, but it's actually honesty being honest with yourself and being honest with one another about your broken self. And that sounds like super trendy, funny enough for our, like, because what, yeah, like you mentioned this idea of being real and, and we, we've been talking about this. Like people love to say that. They love to say, oh, let's be real. Oh, that person was fake. That person was real. They already want that. And by virtue of how Christianity operates, by walking in the light, we're, we're actually forced to do that. You, you could have really tight, tight theology but if you aren't walking in the light, right? If that's not actually transforming the way you live and in an honest way, uh, you have bad theology because your theology actually should cause you to live in that real and honest way. And so what does it look like for a church to proclaim that real message? And, and like, you know, and we've just been kind of building towards this, communicating a real message that the, it seems like every day it's more uh out of step with the culture. It's more irrelevant, right? It's almost like our message every day by day by day is aggressive to our culture. And maybe you feel that uh, in Toronto. I definitely feel that in Vancouver. How do we continue to proclaim um, a faithful gospel message? 
That's such a good question. So here's here's how I think of it. Uh, I don't know that I have the the best answer, but I, I talked to some couples who met online and did the dating thing, and they'd done it a couple times, and they kind of got tired of playing the game. And so what they did was uh, a good friend of mine. He's married to this woman now, but the first date they they met online. They had a a meeting. First date, he's like, "Let me give you all the reasons in the first date that you might not want a second date." I'm not going to play the games of putting on my best friend and having 10 dates with you and then dropping like, oh, by the way, I believe, or, you know, this is this is what's going on in my life. Right up front, I want to be honest with you enough to to not pull the bait and switch. And so one of the things we've tried to practice is without being, without turning people off, like you obviously don't want to overwhelm people, but right up front, just saying, look, I don't want to do a bait and switch. I don't want to present to you that we we're one thing. And then later on, you guys find it. We're not. Let me be honest right up front about where we're coming from. So I find that really helps. Um, and it scares people off. It's it it doesn't work with everybody. But I think having that honesty, I was listening to um, a, a podcast series. Uh, I don't know if you listen to it. Startup. Uh, they did a whole series on on church plants. And one of the criticisms they did it was a secular podcast it was really interesting that they did one of their whole seasons on a startup being a church and one of the criticisms that they leveled during the uh season was all these people that came into a church and it was only about six months in that they found out oh we had no idea you believed this stuff if we'd known up front that would have changed everything so uh, one of the i think a very valid complaint is let's not be dishonest about that let's be really upfront. On the other hand, and this is going to counterbalance it a little bit, I love what Tim Keller does in his preaching. He will say right up front, okay, this is going to be awkward, or what you're going to hear right now is going to seem really weird, and let me tell you why it's not as weird as you think. And then he begins to use, I think, the overlap between culture and Christianity and show how Christianity is actually the better story. And I, I think he, I've learned a lot from him on how he approaches things. He's written about this too. But just be upfront about the weirdness. And then as you approach the weirdness, just to say like, hey guys, today's passage is going to be super uncomfortable. It's going to sound really strange. Hang in there. It's actually much better than you think. In fact, it's going to give you a better story than this world does. So let's dig in and let's begin to look at it. So I think the combination of that honesty and then just owning the awkwardness really seems to resonate with people. Yeah, and unashamed gospel proclamation through that. like, Because you've, you've already asked for their permission because it's going to be awkward in a sense. And so now there's nothing holding back from you giving them uh, the fullness of that message. Uh, and so you mentioned like Tim Keller's church and doing that. Uh, and he's obviously retired now. I've always appreciated how he, he's kind of coined the third way phrase as, as I've seen it, where he'll like often, you know, he's like, here's what our world believes. Here's what our world thinks the church believes, right? Like the super religious, but actually what the church ought to believe is somewhere in the middle. And uh, I find that like, that tends to speak to both sides uh, and both critical sides of people saying, well, you didn't go too far enough or you went too far. There is a middle way that I think is a, a way of balance and I think ultimately like a way of unity in the church as well. Uh, what are some other churches that you've seen doing this well? But also, what are some practical ways that that Christians can begin to, you know, maybe if there's someone who's in a ministry listening to this or thinking about just how they live their lives, their personal lives. What are some practical ways to begin to live lives that are honest and yet relevant? Like kind of what we're talking about. 
just looking for real practical nuggets of being a Christian in today's secular world. The other guy, I, I know a few churches doing this well. The other guy that I know who writes about this uh, well is Trevin Wax. A couple of his recent books have been about telling a better story than the world tells. So he'd be worth checking out. And then I, f I find that any city center church, uh, or downtown church, Vancouver, Toronto, whatever, Montreal, doesn't matter, that is reaching young people. Generally, I find that they're learning how to do this. So probably look up some of those churches and, and see how they're doing it. In terms of the, and this is going to be, I wish I could give you just like a really easy answer, um, Daniel. I think that I'll, I'll just give you a couple that I find really help. One is, well, I think we need to become missiologists, uh, amateur missiologists of our culture, and actually begin to look at what our culture believes and why that story doesn't work. And by that, I, I don't mean we have to get all intellectual, but I belong to a book club. I used to belong to a book club in my community. One day I showed up there. I was the only guy that was there. And a couple of women show up and they they start beating up on me. They're like, you guys treat us like trash. And they went on for about 20 minutes about how basically sex isn't working for them in the secular mind and the, the how it works out in their relationship, how hurt they are. And I walked away from that thinking like, okay, I just got a window into how the world's story about sexuality isn't working for people. It's supposed to be freeing and fulfilling, and it's actually enslaving and damaging. And so what does a, you know, we, how do we study culture and figure out why the Christian story about sex is actually a better story? So that's a lot of work. So I think one, just be a missiologist and there's all kinds of books that help you deal with that. Um, and some of them are pretty accessible. The other thing I would say is I really like reading history. And part of the reason that I like reading history is it gets you out of our current era. Like I, we're weird. We, we live in a very unusual society and we think it's normal. And getting outside of our current era helps us to realize how kind of strange this, this current thing is and helps us get it. You know, the, the whole saying about don't ask a fish what water's like, you almost have to step outside of the fishbowl to see it, right? I think that's what history helps us do. It helps us step out and see our culture for what it is a little bit differently. But I feel frustrated because both of those things are actually hard work, right? I wanted to give you a bite size. I think it's actually a lot of work. It takes a lot of thinking. And time. And time, yeah. I think we need Christians who take this on. And within Canada, maybe there'll even be a listener here who's like, what I need to do is to help the church begin to understand culture better and how to speak to it in a way that makes sense of culture and tells a better story. So I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you're speaking my language because I did a history degree. And it's, it's odd in the moment because you're, you're studying old dead people, you know, and, uh, like, and they're writing. But you, it's, what's, what's really unique is having done a history degree, now looking at our world, I, I just find I have an advantage uh, that other people who don't read history have in the sense that, like, you just you can see the patterns quicker. Like, there's, there's alarming things that will pop up in a culture that you're like, wait a minute, that happened and that was bad. Wait a minute, when they did that, that was bad. And, and it's, you know, it's difficult not to become alarmist, but you, you can almost sound prophetic um, speaking to the culture because it's nothing new. You're just like, I'm just telling you what happened five times before and how it hasn't worked. And just humans repeat history. And that's the lesson that you learn in history is humans are, are destined to repeat the mistakes. Even if they learn from them, it takes only like 70 years for them to 
redo the same mistakes. Like it's a few generations who have forgotten. And so it is with, with Christians as well uh, that we forget. So I guess just moving forward, like, and we're kind of coming to the end of our time here. What is giving you hope these days for the church as we think about the church trying to interact and be relevant with our secular world? Because it, it feels like there's two kingdoms, right? It feels like there's the kingdom of God that we are in the realm of, and then there's the realm of the secular that we don't have any authority in. Um, I just share like one thing that's been encouraging to me is something that we touched on earlier is that Christ sits in control of every ounce of culture. In fact, like my understanding of to Christ, there's not two kingdoms. There's one kingdom. It's his kingdom. And there's those who follow him, believe in him, and those who rebel against him. And just practically, that's been encouraging to me to, to think through that like our role should just follow him, know him, abide in him and his kingdom, and, and he's going to rule it as he will. But how, how do you find that balance? And what has been giving you hope in that? Oh, there's a couple of things that give me hope. So I'm, uh, I have to think about how old I am now. I'm 54 years old, so I'm getting old now. Uh, and I work with a lot of young church planters, and I am excited about the next generation. I'm really excited about, I, I just see some real, like these guys that are planting churches now, they're miles ahead of where I was at that age. And I'm just encouraged because I, and I see a lot of within the church, a lot of the younger generation actually leaning into the hard things that the Bible says. And that gives me a lot of hope. The other thing that gives me hope is I think the darker our society gets, I don't know if you listen to Mark Sayers from Australia, but he's saying what we're seeing right now is really the implosion of the secular worldview, right? Like the post-Christian worldview is collapsing in on itself and what an opportunity for the gospel. Like as everything is falling apart a few years ago, I think it would have been easy to talk about how society's progressing and we're eliminating all the problems and, you know, things are getting better, not worse. Well, nobody can say that recently. What an opportunity for the gospel. I think when the gospel shone um, most brightly, it's been in times of tumult and, you know, upheaval. And I think we're going through one of these periods right now. So I remember... So this is a, a guy from Vancouver challenged me one time. I was complaining about how hard ministry is these days. And he didn't know he didn't know I was complaining, but he I think he'd heard enough of people like me complaining. And he said, I am so sick and tired of hearing people complain about the hardness of the soil. I wish I heard more people talk about the power of the gospel. And, you know, the Romans 1 16 thing, right? Like this is the gospel, like it outlasted the Roman Empire. Like it has overturned entire societies. It is spread throughout the whole world and it it can handle Canadian society right now. Like it is more than equal to change lives. And from that day on, I can no longer complain about how hard it is because I always think like, man, I wish that I believed in the power of the gospel as much as I believed about the challenges of our time. So I try to remember that and remind myself of that when I begin to complain. Yeah, definitely. And that takes faith. In the end, the Lord is all we have. And so, you know, that's a that's a great note to end it on is just believing in the power of the gospel. So, hey, Daryl, thank you for your time. Uh, sorry, we're kind of, you know, we could keep going on this. I love talking about culture and the church. And, but uh, thanks again for being on here and uh, we'll talk soon. I love talking to you. Thank you. Well, thank you again, Daryl, for uh, being on the program. Uh, great conversation. Looking forward to hearing and seeing how your ministry flourishes in the days ahead, you know, as we pray and think about Canada and, and being 
again, relevant, but real to our culture. And I think we kind of got onto something there that, that actually being relevant is being real in the most real way. So thank you for listening. I hope you find this helpful and we look forward to seeing you next time. All the best. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.